Well, it's my honor and privilege to welcome you again, whether you're online or whether you're here in person. I'm so glad you've chosen to be here. And I don't know exactly what it is in your heart that you've brought here before the Lord, but I know that our God does, and I pray that our time together today will be what you need, the encouragement that you need, the direction that you might need, and I pray that all of us will leave here more committed and more dedicated to living in a way that, that honors our God and blesses those that we're with, whether it's at home or whether it's where we work or school. We want to be a blessing, and I hope that that will take place as God gives us what we need. This is the third lesson in our three-week series called Looking Back and Moving Forward. Now, the first week, we looked at the powerful role of story in forming our identity and shaping our character. And then last week, we saw the value of community. We saw how the concept of church gives us a sense of belonging and the understanding that we're part of something that's much greater than what we have right here, something that transcends time and history. We're part of what God is doing in our world, and that is wonderful. Today we're going to see that as devoted followers of Jesus, not only do we have radically changed hearts, but we're also going to see that we live each day with a clearly defined purpose and mission. And so I hope that you've got your Bibles uh, there with you or you can power up your device. We're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 1 as we use it as a launching pad for our discussion today. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And the context of this is that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he spent 40 days with his disciples and he's about to leave and, re and return to heaven. And so he looks at his followers and this is what he says. He says, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A powerful statement. It's actually, it's actually what Luke uses for the rest of his writing here in the book of Acts as he follows going from Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. But he looks at those followers, those disciples, and he says, you will be my witnesses. Think about that. Witnesses. Witnesses, they tell about things that they've experienced, things that they've seen, what they've heard. We have an example of this that the Apostle John writes years later when he writes 1 John. He says in 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. You see, Jesus calls all of us, even today, to go out as witnesses, how we have experienced Jesus, what Jesus means to us, how Jesus has changed our life. 
but not just as witnesses. As the Holy Spirit falls, as power is given through the Holy Spirit, there was a God-ordained plan. Notice what he says. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is God's plan. And as you read the book of Acts, you can see how this took place. I have this illustration that I found that might help us make it more practical for us. That, that we're to start in our own home, in our own hometown, in our neighborhood. And then we're to go out further to our own culture, then to nearby cultures. And then as witnesses who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we continue out even to places where Jesus is not known. Well, looking back at the history of our church, it reveals that the priority is mission. Mission and outreach. We realize that the central focus for this church has always been to do everything we can to impact the next generation for our God. It's interesting to go back and to be reminded that for the first 14 years that our church existed, it existed on the campus of A&M College of Texas is what it was called at that time. And then from there, when the numbers grew, it, they needed an extra space. And so they moved right across the street from the campus there at Northgate on Church Street for a permanent building. And this first location was so close to the campus that the students could just walk there from their dorm. But then we saw last week that when the enrollment increased in the 1960s and more and more students began to live off campus and had their own cars, it was the right time to move locations again. And so we moved to the outskirts, the southern outskirts of then College Station to this dirt road called 2818 that was also called the Bypass. But what is really interesting about that is that it moved right next door to the new location for A&M Consolidated High School. And this was a strategic move showing the desire to have a strong and dedicated ministry to youth as well as to the college students. Well, then over time, as the cities of College Station and Bryan grew, and as more and more high schools were built, being right next to one school was not as important as being accessible from all places. And so a larger structure, one that was offered easy access from all parts of town was considered. And our church realized that it was, it, that for us it was the best opportunity to reach families as well as college students in our community. This location right here on Highway 6 would be ideal for us. And so after much prayer and planning, our church moved into this, our current location in 2004. 
And it's located on this thoroughfare that connects north from south. And it's the absolute best location for our community. And so as I look out in the audience that's assembled today, I see students who study at Texas A&M. I see students who study at Blend. I see families with students that are attending multiple public and private schools as well as homeschool co-ops. And they're scattered throughout our community. And parents want their children to be part of our youth programs. I look out and I see many of you that travel great distances to get here on Sunday mornings. Some from Madisonville, some from Navasota, some from Milano, some from Rosebud, and I could go on and on, but what a wonderful location this is that we have here as we carry out our mission. But it's not just the moving of locations for fellowship and worship that reflects this sense of mission that we have. It's really how God has used simple beginnings to have a great impact. And I think of the many different ways that our church has been led by God to make a difference in so many lives, lives here locally, lives that are in the surrounding areas, and really impacting lives around the world as well. Now, I could go on and on. We could spend hours here telling stories. And it was really difficult for me to narrow it down, stories that tell us about how God is working in the hearts of people, using simple conversations, simple things, it seems like, but had a great impact. Well, I think back to the decision in 1954 for this church to, to reach out and to have a minister that was dedicated to the spiritual development and training of college students. Bob... Davidson was hired in 1954. Now, you know, if we don't really think about this very much, we might think, oh, yeah, well, what's the big deal about that? But if you put it in the context of that day, a not very wealthy college church hiring, putting on staff someone who was a non-preaching minister focusing entirely on college students, that was radical. That was actually even controversial. It didn't happen. This was, this was groundbreaking. And yet the leaders of our church were so committed to the mission of reaching out and training the next generation that they prayed and prayed and prayed, and then they decided to send Brother Street, one of our elders, to find Bob Davidson, who they'd met before. He was a student at AM, stayed one year, and then wanted to go into ministry, went to Abilene Christian. And he was somewhere up in the New York City, New Jersey area, and they said, Brother Street, we want you to go find him. And when my dad tells the story, he says that Brother Street came, he found his address, he knocked on the door, he opened the door, and he says, Brother Street, what are you doing here? And Brother Street answered, I've come to take you and Mert back to Texas. <laughs> and that's what happened. And Bob was college minister here from 1954 to 19. 
58, and then from 1970 through 2000, 35 years of focusing on college students at Texas A&M and Blinn, training them to serve, to grow, to minister to their God. I think back to 1972. A conversation in room 114 of Hughes Hall. A bunch of guys just in there, they were talking and they wanted to figure out something that they could do before they had to start their summer jobs. One of them said, how about if we, if we get, get a, a road trip and we can go visit all these churches in the southeastern part of the United States? I think part of it, they had really good intentions of serving, of ministry, but I think also part of it is that they really wanted to possibly meet some good-looking girls. <laughs> but God had other plans, and as you know the story, the bus broke down, and they spent so much time, the whole time, at a children's home in Arkansas, and that really focused their mission. And from that time on, we've been doing ministry trips in Aggies for Christ on a weekly basis. It all started with a conversation in a dorm. I love that. I think about the beginning of cross-cultural ministry trips abroad. They began with just a simple request. It was in 1973. Bob and Mert Davidson were returning to Thailand for just a brief trip. They had permanent visas as missionaries in Thailand, and they didn't want those to, to expire, and so they had to go back to the country. And so they were, they were there at the airport. They'd been driven to the airport by Larry Phillips, and, and when he got there, he let him out, and he said, Bob, next year I want to go with you. And that next year, the very first AFC trip abroad headed to Asia for several weeks. And now we look and we've got not just AFC, but we've got cross-cultural opportunities for our youth group. We've got cross-cultural opportunities for our families. And it's just a wonderful blessing to see how God took just a simple conversation. Bob, I want to go with you next year. And it turned into something that it is today. Praise God. It's impossible to know how many lives worldwide have been touched by what started that day. You know, and I tell these stories because I want us to realize that God didn't suddenly quit. That God showed up in the 50s and the 70s, but he's not around now. You see, God is nudging each one of us right now, calling us to go out, calling us to do something radical, something that might even be controversial, to serve Him in a way that will, that will impact generations and generations to follow. I think of our response back in 2005 to a crisis. Hurricane Rita hit Houston hard. It hit, hit the Texas Gulf Coast and all that surrounding area. And there was a great need for refugees, for people, people who were fleeing the devastation of the hurricane. They needed food. They needed shelter. And our church was here. It was brand new. I mean, it was sparkling new. There, there were no marks on the walls. Everything looked really, really nice. And that was a tough decision to make, but it was an easy one as well. 
our leader says, come on. And hundreds and hundreds lived at our building for over a week. And the church rallied together in a beautiful way to provide food, to provide all for, for, for all the needs in a way that showed the love of Christ that those, to those who were in crisis at the time. Oh, that was one of the beautiful moments of our church. And I love to think back at that. Oh, I could go on and on. I could, I could talk about Lincoln House of Hope. I could talk about iHouse Ministry and the international students that it touches. I could go on and on and on. But I want us to realize that that God is still working today, calling all of us, empowering us in ministry here in the region and throughout the entire work. But I want to end this series today. I want to bring it to a close with a question. And this question is, what will it take for us today to lay the foundation that will enable the next generation to celebrate 150 years. And I did some simple math, and I realized that, that 50 years from now will be 2071. Now, I'm not planning to be around in 2071. Some of you, some of you probably are. If so, I hope that you have great clear memories of what we're doing right now. I hope that you're still around and that you're celebrating 150 years of God working through our church family. But I've been pondering this question for many, many weeks. What do we need to do now? How can we make sure that we're still alive and active in 50 years? And so I've got some things that I've thought of and I've trimmed them down to four. You can be glad about that. <laughs> but these are just my thoughts, okay? I don't claim that I have any inspiration from God. These are just my thoughts on things that we need to do. First of all, I think we have to commit, recommit to live on mission. It's it's important that we realize the calling that we have that God has on our lives. As I was studying, preparing to go into full-time ministry, I, I took a class on church growth. And that was a long time ago, but I still remember what was taught on a particular part of that class. The teacher described the most common life, or the common life stages in churches. He said that all churches start off with mission. And you can see this in the book of Acts. When, when the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost, there was this excitement. There was this fervor. It was all that they could talk about. They were selling land. They were doing everything they could to make sure that everybody around them knew the good news. You see, mission is new. It's exciting. Sometimes mission starts in a home, in a living room. Sometimes it might start in a school. Everyone is involved, and so everyone is needed. Everyone's talking about it, and they're inviting everyone they know to be part of it. It's often unorganized. There's often a feeling of chaos. It's focused on growth. 
And the key question in this period of mission is, what's the best way that we can reach people with the good news of Jesus? But as it grows, you can't stay in that section or that mentality forever because growth necessarily needs to, leads to the next stage because there has to be organization and budgets and plans and meetings, and that is institution. The church grows from mission to a mentality of an institution. Traditions begin to be followed. And it's not necessarily bad. You have to have organization. You have to have people working together when we get to be as large as what we are. But sometimes it's easy to become complacent. Sometimes it's easy to be a consumer or a spectator. The key question in this particular phase of church growth is how can we best organize and involve everyone? But over, times, over time, institutions morph as well. And that is the next stage, and that's museum. In the museum stage, the goal is to protect the institution. In a museum stage, there's, it's static, it's routine. Traditions are given prominence and value. And in this stage, the key question is, how can we keep the most people happy? Those who, who study this say that often as you move towards museum, the younger generation gets dissatisfied with this commitment to the institution. And so many times they will leave and they'll go back and they will go back to this sense of mission and replant another church in a living room or at a school and it begins again musicians i'm sorry museums eventually morph into the final stage and that is the professor told us was the morgue stage and they cease to exist so your question for lunch today your question for lunch, or maybe your small group, is where do you feel on a scale of 1 to 10 that we are? Are we, are we closer to mission, or are we closer to museum? And what do we need to do in the future? And I, I'm calling all of us to regain a sense of mission that God is calling each one of us to personally respond to His call and His purpose for your life. The second thing is that we've got to be preparing for a changing culture. Our culture has been changing faster than any culture ever in the history of the world. There are many reasons for that. But I think all of us can can agree to that. Now, it could cause us to be anxious. It could cause us to really be worried about the future, but the reality is it's a great thing that we see about church, the church that God has, has placed here in this world, is that it transcends time and cultural distinctives. 
you go back and you look, the church at Jerusalem was different than the church at Antioch. And neither of those churches was exactly like the church at Rome when it comes to culture and traditions. Our church here in College Station is different than the churches that you might visit in China or Korea or Kenya. But all share important core Christian values that are the same. So what's happening today is that our culture is changing. And so we need to look at our culture the way that a missionary would look at a culture if they go to live in a different country. They begin to study it and they begin to find out how can we be most effective in communicating the message of the gospel in that particular cultural setting. And our culture is changing from a Christian culture to a non-Christian culture. In a Christian culture, it's common to dialogue and study with someone who already believes in God and respects the Bible as sacred. But as we go into a non-Christian culture, we're going to need to learn how to share the gospel message with someone who doesn't believe in God, with someone who doesn't see the scriptures as inspired or sacred. In a Christian culture, most of the conversations we would have would be with people who have some experience with church of some kind. But as we enter a non-Christian culture, we're going to need to learn how to pour our lives into discipling new believers over a long period of time. It's not going to be enough to just say, well, you need to go to a Bible class. You see, we're going to have to prepare right now for the changing culture of the decades to come. But number three, we need to live on mission. We need to prepare for a changing culture. But thirdly, we need to live in a way that surprises our community, surprises the world. If I go back and I read in the scriptures as Christianity moved away from Jerusalem and they began to get further and further away into to, uh, different cultures and places, we can see that the, the culture, the communities that they were in were hostile to Christians and persecution started. So how do we live in a culture that could be hostile to Christianity, to followers of Jesus. Well, Peter writes to a church that's in a hostile culture, and this is what he says in chapter 3. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded. Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You see, the church, it existed in a world of polarization, of power, a world where there was the focus on gratifying self and self-centeredness. And the community called the church was to be counter-cultural to that, to be unified in a place where there was discord, to be sympathetic, to show love, to be compassionate, to be humble. And if something evil was done to you, Peter says, don't repay evil with evil, but no, surprise the world. 
Repay evil with a blessing. Then he continues on in verse 14. He says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. He's saying, don't live in fear of a changing culture, a hostile culture. Don't live in fear, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You see, when we really live as people following Jesus, it's going to raise questions. They're going to say, why why are you doing that? Why are you responding in this way? That's not what I would do. Tell me. And when when they ask that question, you can share the hope that you have in Christ Jesus, and you can share it with gentleness and respect. Number four, last one. We as a church need to make sure that we never, ever, ever give up on our commitment to raising the next generation. This has been in the DNA of this church since the very beginning. We are a church that began on a college campus. And for the next several decades, we're right across the street from a college campus. We are a church that moved intentionally right next to a high school. This is our calling as a church. Study after study shows that one of the most important things a church can do is focus on the training and the spiritual health of a younger generation. And this this involves including them in all that's going on. It involves listening, listening to them. It involves spending time with them, slowing down what we're doing and letting them know that they're not the church of tomorrow. No, they are the church of right now. This is our calling. Not long ago, I I listened to a podcast by Kara Powell Um, She and Brad Griffin recently wrote a book called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. It's a great book. They also had written uh, a few years before a book that many of you may have read already called Sticky Faith, How to to Keep Young People uh, Engaged and Growing in Their Faith. And as I was listening to this podcast with Kara Powell, she actually was talking about the the importance for all churches everywhere to keep investing in the younger generation so that they will be able to grow and so that they will be able to be an important part in every church. She quotes another author, Kendra Creasy-Dean, that says young people need to be viewed as the load-bearing walls. When I heard that, it just, it just I, couldn't get, I couldn't get my mind off of it. Now, I have to admit, I have no knowledge of construction, okay? I have really no idea 
if you were to quiz me, I don't really know what a load-bearing wall is. I just know that load-bearing walls are important. Okay, I've watched enough home improvement shows to know that this wall you can knock down, but that one you can't. I love this picture. That the youth of this church can be seen as load-bearing walls. The highest priority for the structure to stand. How can we go into the future making sure that our young people feel that they're part of our church and that they're needed just as much as any generation. You see, our church has done this for 100 years. May we never, ever stop. And this emphasis has given our church life and vitality. And what a blessing that is. So, As we look back while moving forward, we go back to what actually got us started a hundred years ago, and that is raising up the next generation of believers. And all the while, our eyes are focused on Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. You see, it's Jesus that, as we look back, we realize has given us hope because we look back to the cross The cross where Jesus bore my sin, bore the punishment that I deserved so that I could receive the privilege that Jesus had. We look back, but we also look forward. It's Jesus that gives us a purpose for living. And every day we can live on mission, joining God and putting this world back together again, just as God intended from the very beginning. So we're going to close with a song, a song that causes, calls all of us to think about our relationship with Jesus. And if you have any needs, we would love to be able to help you with those, either here in the front or in the Welcome Center If you would like to know more about Jesus, if you'd like to be baptized into his name, oh, we would love to help with that. But all of us are called to welcome the grace and the mercy that come from him. So let's together stand and encourage each other while we sing.